my love for science fiction comes from Godzilla and how it just, you know, the, but that was based on a real event, you know, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, you know. When did you first uh, watch Godzilla? I'm pretty sure you watched the original, uh, like, because there, there are a ton of remakes, I'm assuming. Yes, yeah. I was um, I was two years old. You remember that? Yeah. No, dude, like, I'm serious. Like, I was two years old when I... <laughs> you don't forget, like, things that made you smile as a kid. Like, yeah, you don't. Yeah, like, yeah. there's... If you, because, like, you know, that's how, like, you know, like, a lot of kids don't forget the bad things that happened to them when they were young, which is why they have a lot of issues, like, later on. Like, some of them may have, dis- like, develop anxiety or depression, you know, but you never remember, but you always, you always remember things when you're little. You never forget the good things, you never forget the bad things either. Right. So, and I remember the good things. And, because not a lot of, you know, fortunately, thank God, never had a lot of unfortunate events in my life, thank God. And I hope that, I hope it stays that way, but, um, you know... One of the joys of my life was watching Godzilla at my grandma's house. Mm-hmm. That's uh, it was what, the original black and white version with Raymond Burr because the Japanese version wasn't released out here yet. So all we had was these little VHS tapes you buy from the corner store. Says Godzilla, the greatest monster ever. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. And then I watch it, and the moment I see him come out the ocean, looking like that, breathing atomic fire and stuff like that, I'm all like. This is incredible. Yeah. And then I realized that there's more of these. And they're like, yeah. these fights, King Ghidorah, the three-headed dragon, a, gi- a moth or giant moth, and all these other um, uh, robots and aliens and other mutants and prehistoric creatures. It's just, that's what made me want to, like, that's what made me love, made me love art, cinema, all that. At two years old. Yeah. At two. No, because, like, as I that's grew. incredible. As I matured, yeah. I loved drawing. Then I loved, like, I love movies. I like movies. And, yeah. like, then for a while I wanted to play sports. Right. But then, because, like, because then um, another film that I loved growing up was Space Jam. Everyone oh, loves yeah, Space yeah, Jam. Right. Everyone loves Space Jam. Like, I wanted to play basketball because I'm Michael Jordan and the Bugs Bunny. I want to play basketball. But then I realized that I don't like sports. <laughs> Do you don't... like watching it? Sometimes yeah, I, I'm okay. always I'm always around for, for Super Bowl and for finals, you know. Yeah, yeah, because I love the rush. It's the final right, game. Right. It's the excitement. It's like yo. Um, it's it's a, a movie in a way. In some yes. Way. Yeah. The final draw. It's all those other basketball games. This is it. Right. All the other football games. This is it. I yeah. like that. Yeah. It's like a, it's like you know King Kong versus Godzilla, two right. of the greatest monsters in cinema clash together. See, this is why it's interesting for me to talk about this with you because I, my movie background is so little. Cool. When did that film come out? King Kong vs. Godzilla? Yeah. In Japan, it was released in 1962. I didn't realize that it was that old. No, believe yeah. me. The, no, like, okay, like, I want to I wanna talk to you about this because King Kong vs. Godzilla, believe it or not, was one of the, is, is the highest grossing Godzilla film of all time, adjusted for inflation. Think mm-hmm. of it as, like, I mean, I'm speaking way out of, like, I'm speaking a little, like, exaggerated here, but think of it as the Gone of the Wind, gone, like, Gone... Gone of the Wind? Yeah, what is that called? Are you talking Gone about with the Wind. Gone with the, yeah, there we go. Gone of the Wind, yeah. Gone, <laughs> I'm thinking of, like, think of it as the Gone with the Wind for, for Godzilla. It was the hugest hit. Like, it sold out in Japan, like, everywhere. Japan had a population of, like, maybe, like, a 11 million at the time. And, like, the film sold out, like, the film sold out, like, more than half of that. Mm-hmm. So, right. and then it got released in America because, you know, it's King Kong. And the Americans complained about it because they didn't like the idea of Kong in a suit rather than Kong as a stop motion. But it still made big bucks in right. America. Sold out all across America. Then Italian, then um, Italy picked it up, released it there. Germany picked it up. France picked it up. It was a worldwide sensation. Then they, could, then they um, figured that, okay, Godzilla's a bankable star. Let's put him in more movies. Then 1964 comes along, Godzilla vs. Mothra vs. Godzilla comes out, another huge hit. 
then Ghidorah Three Headed Monster comes out. That just Godzilla became this worldwide phenomenon. So that was the first Godzilla movie. The first Godzilla movie was Godzilla 1954. Okay. King Kong vs. Godzilla was the third. And King Kong started its own. Uh, when did King Kong start? King Kong started in 1933. What? Oh my god. There was. Dude, mm -hmm. I had no idea that it was that old. I had no clue. If you watch yeah. it, you'll really discover that it still holds up because the stop motion effects, you know, like that's where you take a figure, like a miniature figure, move every frame, like move like the figure's body, like every, like one frame at a time, like one finger, take a picture, another, another move, take a picture. Then what right, do you know right. at the end of the frames, looks like a moving creature. It looks like it's alive, right? That is what it looks like. And um, it was such a big hit, especially during that era. It was 1933. America was still having economic issues. So to see a film like that, for audiences to see a film like that mm -hmm. during 1933, when sound was still in its infancy, um, right. those kind of effects were like, like were still like being tested out. Like talkies, that's what they call them back then. Talkies were like, that was a huge deal to sync up sound with you know what the with with the actors with their mouths on scene because up until that point it was just silent films. Talk to me about then um, the I guess the production process of films back then, 1933, because um, obviously when you say like you had to, they still had that you had to role. crank you had to you crank, had to crank. Yeah, yeah. it was very, the, the filmmaking process was difficult you had, you dealt with actual film so right. dealing with film itself is very sensitive it's sensitive to light. Of course, it's yeah. very sensitive, and it could easily you have to handle it with care because, like, prints could like get messed up. Like that's why there's um a lot of frames that are lost from film, and that's why there's a lot of lost movies. There's a lot of movies from the 1920s and early 1900s that will never be seen again because they were either lost with the World War One, you know, um, they were lost, you know, with because they were taken back care of. Film was new, was newer back then. So they didn't know how to probably take care of it. It was trial and error. A lot of films were lost. And a lot of films, back to World War One. they were used for bombs. Because films were, Whoa. film was explosive. Film itself is explosive. Was. Yeah. It's like something to do with, <laughs> it's like something to do with nitrate. So no what, way. Okay, that's incredible. And guess. That's so cool. Yeah, because yeah. like in um, America, like, like Thomas Edison like came up with the idea for like t talking about moving pictures, I believe. Then Europe came along and said, like, okay, instead of just filming subjects, just walking across the street, why don't we tell a visual story? Then comes along George Melies with um, the first one of, one of the first films with the plot called A Trip to the Moon. It's about these it's about these professors that go into the moon, and then there's that iconic iconic image of the spaceship crash landing in the moon's eye, and it starts like bleeding right here. And then they meet ant people on the moon, the Selenites, and they fight off the Selenites, and then they land back on Earth and have a celebration that they discovered life on the moon. That's the first film with a plot. When was this? This was in 1905, I believe. And do, is this a lost film? No, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. That's one of the films by George Melies that didn't get lost. How many films would you say have gotten lost? Or like a majority of these films have gotten lost? Oh, hundreds. And how many? How much could a film like this sell for? Should someone? I mean, it's in the public domain. Okay. It's in the public domain, so anyone can watch. Because that that was at a time before like copyright. You know, that's why you could go find Nosferatu on many different DVD releases. That's why you go on on YouTube and just watch Nosferatu, just just like, not have to pay for it because it's a public domain. And you can reference it in different TV yes. shows. And okay, the, even okay. like the character of Frankenstein. See, right. people, lots of people think that Frankenstein isn't in the public domain. He is, because yeah, people because Universal, Universal kind of like kind of like 
blur things because like they made the iconic version of Frankenstein, the flathead, bolts in the neck, tall, Boris Karloff, you know, smoke, good, you know, all that. You know, they, they made Frankenstein iconic. They gave him an image, but the character Frankenstein himself, the modern Prometheus, like, like Frankenstein, like the creature, in the public domain. That's why you see so many adaptations, you know, Frankenstein's Army, Return of Frankenstein. Um, even the people who made the Godzilla franchise made a Frankenstein movie called Frankenstein vs. Baragon where he turns giant and fights a giant dinosaur. Um, then there's um, The Wolfman. That's why anyone can make a movie about The Wolfman. You have the Hammer Horror films, um, you know, with, um, with uh, Peter Cushing and um, Christopher... I believe it's Christopher Lee? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Christopher Lee. And... Um, and that's why you also have an American Werewolf in London. You have Lon Chaney's Werewolf, um, the, the Werewolf movie. You know, you have many different versions of these characters in the public domain. So, if we're talking about public domain, that means that you can create your own story around this character. Yes. And make money off. Of. Yes. That and it's same with Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster. Those are creatures that people. Uh, those are creatures that people have said to have actually seen. Those are actually beasts that like. So they're they're not movie characters. Longest Monster, anyone can make a movie about that. Bigfoot, you make them, anyone can make a movie about that. It's not mm -hmm. owned by it's not owned by a certain company. It's not owned by Universal. It's not owned by Legendary or Warner Brothers. It's they're creatures to have to believe to have act, to actually mm -hmm. exist. So you can, anyone can make a movie about them. Well, okay. So now that's cleared up for me. How about when you talk about characters that I, I don't know if like Disney had a certain hold or a period of time where they were able to hold, I guess, the licenses or whatever mm -hmm. to Mickey Mouse or... No, Mickey uh, Mouse is a Disney character. Right, right. But did they ever have something where for X amount of years that it was exclusive to a certain uh, production company like Disney and then after that time was up? No, Disney never let anyone else use Mickey Mouse. Okay. Ever. Like, Mickey Mouse is the face of Disney. Right. Like, Mickey Mouse is Disney. Like, right. think of that as cartoon Walt Disney. Right. Like, that, that's, that's not, no one ever, ever let... Does, does Universal and, I guess, does Universal have its own um, set of characters that they, I suppose, own the rights to? I guess you could say Fievel from An American Tale or the, and the dinosaurs from The Land Before Time. But no, no one truly iconic. I mean, they redesigned, that's what I'm saying, they redesigned Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, Invisible Man. They redesigned those characters and gave them their iconic look. <clears throat> but other than that, they don't own those characters. They just have the, I guess, biggest market share yes. for those characters. Yes, they've created the most de de definitive version of those characters. Huh. How old are these stories? Like how old? Because they all they started as books. Mm -hmm. Legends of well, actually, because Frankenstein is a, was was started off as a book by Mary Shelley in, by Mary Shelley in Germany. Right. Um, but the thing is, um, like I keep on saying, um. <laughs> <laughs> but um, see you again. But like, legend yeah. Frankenstein started off as a book, but the legends of wolf of, of werewolf creatures, those are actual legends. Right. Legends that people believe that people develop lycanthropy. It's a disease where you develop animal-like traits, long nails, long hair, sharp teeth. Your teeth become filed somehow into like sharp, right. like sharp fangs. And you start, like, it's, it's, it's really brain degeneration. It's a disease. But um, people like actually believe that you can transform into another animal. Right. So, okay. yeah, people just made a movie about that. And Dracula, there's legends of vampires. Mm -hmm. And then Bram Stoker made a story of Dracula, of Count Dracula. Then, um... So, Bram Stoker was not the original. 
Braun Stoker made the story of Dracula. Oh, it's but just, Dracula took, was a character, and then he made a story behind. Yeah, Dracula character. was um the vampire stories have been around since since humans have been on Earth. Right. Bram Stoker, from what I believe, took stories of these legends and made a book about it uh, for one character. And then comes along the guy who made Nosferatu and Max Schreck and his and his and his gang. They made it Nosferatu, believe it or not, is an unauthorized remake of um, Bram Stoker's book. It's unauthorized. That's why it's in the public domain. Unauthorized. So he didn't have the right to do it? That, yeah, that was but it was um, it's not that necessarily he didn't have the rights because that was pre-code. It was right. pre-code. Like they, the MPAA wasn't in wasn't wasn't in wasn't enacted. Um, like copywriting laws weren't as strict. Like I don't think copyright laws even existed. This was back in the 1800s. No, no, this is in the 1900s. So when they were making Nosferatu. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, okay. Okay. So then what happened was um, is that like they made Nosferatu? Then it's like, wait a minute, you made a version of this, of this book. Like you can't, you can't, you can't do that. And then um, the guy who made um, Nosferatu, he's all like, look, I uh, there's no there's nothing stopping me from doing that technically. So then the system came up with that idea of, okay, we need to find a way where we could just make sure that our characters just don't get stolen like that. Anyone can make a movie about it. We can't have that. So then copyright laws are enacted. MPAA comes up with a rating system. and boom. Yeah, but Nosferatu 2 still remains in the, in the um, MP, but still remains in the public domain. Okay, cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about now, I guess, movies in uh, the current, like our current era Tell me. of movies. Um, I want to know what because I know you're you're huge into science fiction. It's my favorite um, genre. What are the standout movies of this generation? Don't count in Godzilla remakes. Don't don't be talking yeah. about no yeah. remakes like mm. the ones that are original for this time. And I know it's hard because I've seen so many movies mm. to come out that are remakes or based off of like comic books, which is Marvel, mm. but that's a whole different topic Marvel for another time. is a yeah. subgenre. See, superhero comic books, comic book stories are a subgenre of science fiction. Right. Because like they're all, their powers are sci-fi based. X-Men, mutants, sci-fi. Captain right, America, right, right. super serum, sci-fi. Um, Spider-Man, get bit by, by a radioactive spider, sci-fi. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But the science fiction movies that are good today, man, sorry to bother you. <laughs> that movie's great. Okay. That's a great piece of science fiction. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's relevant to our time, showing how you shouldn't sell out, you know, and how, like, a lot of, you know, people of color, whether you're black, Mexican, or, like, you know, Asian, you know, whatever, if, if, if you're non-white, you're going to have to adopt this white persona. And even though, like, because, you know, they say, you know, speaking, because, like, at first I thought the problem, like, what they were trying to say with that movie is, like, you know, if you speak proper English and you're black, you're selling out. They're not saying that at all. They're saying that, yeah, it's okay if you speak proper English. It doesn't matter if you speak proper English or, or talk hood. You could sell out either way. Yeah. Don't be a sellout. Yeah, yeah. I give away the twist, which makes it a sci-fi movie, but have you seen it? Have you seen I it? I haven't seen I'm telling you. I don't want to spoil yeah. it. <laughs> no. I, I don't. I don't have to know what the ending is, mm-hmm. but I just want to know what, what uh, I guess aspects of the mm-hmm. movies, uh, these movies that make yeah. you enjoy mm-hmm. a, a film like this now in the modern era. Like, does well, production quality play a huge role for you at all, or is production it production quality? Well, here's the thing: the world is going more indie. We're going more towards independent projects, so you could make a low-budget production work for you. You can right, make it right, work right, for the right. story. You can make it service the story. That's why there's a lot of films right. that are film documentary style. They look blurry. They look kind of old and kind of dated, but that's the style. So really, you can make anything work for you now. It doesn't matter if you're filming in a hut or filming in the Bel Air mansion. You right. can make your work for you. And um, okay, you know what? I'm going to tell you what makes Sorry to Bother You really special for me. 
Yeah. The main character in the movie is like works for a telemarketing company. And then he discovers his wife was like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Hello, sir. I'd like to sell you this item. Yes. Um, holla, holla, holla. You know, stuff like that. Your impressions, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> I've seen all your snaps of you just stopping by the driveway. Do do. What are the reactions, by the way? Side note. What are the reactions of these They're people? like this. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, uh, okay. That will be nine ninety five. <laughs> <laughs> You do that a little too well. Yeah, yeah. because I yeah. would not want to. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how I'd feel about that. Actually, I yeah. would probably get a good kick out of it. Yeah, because like the thing, yeah. reason why I do that is because, like, you know, I need a laugh and they do too. Standing, <laughs> just standing all day. Because, like, I don't bash people in the fast food industry. To me, that's honorable. You're feeding yeah. people. You yeah. are feeding the people. Like, when people see that on your resume, I find that honorable. If yeah. I were a boss, I was reading that on someone's resume, worked at all these restaurants, I'm like, you feed people. You help people yeah. get through the day. You're hired. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. But like, so like, they deserve a laugh too. Their yeah. job is just as important as someone being, you know, an architect or a stockbroker. They mm-hmm. feed the people. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, you know, give them a laugh, even if they exactly. don't find it funny. It makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. You know, either way, hey, one of us is going to end up laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, one of us, one of us yeah. is going to end up laughing. And then yeah. you, ten out of uh, ten out of ten on your impressions, by the way, man. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very impressed. <laughs> but I do want to go back to. Um, sorry to bother yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, sorry to bother you. Yeah. So what he does, he discovers that he gets, he becomes a power caller after he does his job so well of discovering his white voice, and selling out even more. His girlfriend ends up leaving him. She tells him that yeah, you, I found you way more interesting when you were just you. You didn't, you weren't this popular guy. You know, I liked you when you were on when you were on the bottom. Like, I'll take like, but you're just selling out. Like, you're becoming morally debased. And then like, you know, but then he he doesn't care. He still becomes more sucked into the money and the power calls, making million dollar calls. Then he discovers that um, what the telemarketing company is all about. They're selling slavery. They sell people. And guess what they do to these slaves? They turn them into horse people, equisapiens. What uh, horse? Pe- so they they fuse them. What into- they do is that they have you sniff what looks like cocaine, and infuses your body with mutant DNA, and turns you into a horse person. One reason why I like this is because like it turns you like you become a sellout. You'll you'll become anything. You become a monster. That's the underlying. Yeah, like underlying you become meaning. a monster. You become an animal, and like you become a slave to the system. You sold out. Like you're 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 dumb. You're a dumb animal. You're just all, no brains, all brawn, just like, just a puppet for the man. And like, I love the science fiction aspect because I number one of science fiction. It's done low budget, so you could tell it's a costume, but it looks great because it's practical, which the world needs to adopt more of a practical style again. Be- and another thing is, I've never seen horse mutants. I've seen dog mutants, I've seen bug mutants, lizards, right, aliens. Right, yeah. Horse people? They, have, they haven't existed? I mean, I've never seen that in fiction. I've never seen in fiction where someone is transformed into a mutant horse person. I've never seen that. And if it is, I don't know about it. And you know a lot of movies. Yeah, I've never, of all the movies that I've seen, The Thing, all kinds of movies like, oh, the monster from outer space or creature from a thousand years ago destroying our planet, you know, like, but they've never been in the style of a horse. That's crazy. I would have thought that they would have had something by now. It's so original. Yeah. It's one of the most original things and one of the greatest things I ever saw. See, my brother and sister didn't like it. I went to go see it with my with my siblings. They hated it. I'm all like, I don't think they understood it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, right. like, I knew it was going to be a surreal comedy. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's not 
a depressing movie. You could have a message and not be depressing. So everyone is so cynical nowadays. It's just like, that's why there's so many sad endings to all these movies. It's because the fact that like, you know, like, yeah, we live in a sad reality. Everything's bad. There's nothing I can do to change it. Oh, my life sucks. I knew that was going to happen. Nothing ever works out for me. Yeah, if you have a cynical attitude about everything, then nothing's going to get done because you're going to be just settle for, for negativity and mediocrity.